0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
1: I'm David Asman. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Jimmy Fallon. And this is the Fox News Rundown.
2: Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. California says financial institutions have to track their residents' gun purchases, and now credit card companies are
3: apparently gearing up for the effort. This is not East Germany, this is America. We have a right to privacy in this country and you can buy whatever you want as long as it's done legally.
1: I'm Dave Anthony. Inflation isn't coming down as fast as economists predicted. After all those Fed rate hikes that drove up interest rates and credit card
4: debt. I don't want to see a recession. People lose their jobs. It causes a lot of financial stress for people.
5: I think we can hopefully uh, skate our way out of this. And I'm Jason Rantz. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. Credit card companies had been working on a new
2: merchant category code for guns. But about a year ago, they paused that work as some gun rights activists pushed back against tracking gun purchases. Now, CBS News is reporting that the credit card companies have resumed their work in order to comply with a new California law. The law requires banks and credit card companies assign merchant category codes to firearm sellers by May of next year so that they can flag suspicious activity and alert law enforcement. The law came after the International Organization for Standardization established a merchant code for firearms retailers in 2022. Before that, purchases had been coded as sporting goods or other. Now, merchant category codes may sound familiar as they're at the center of another story. The House Judiciary Committee chairman recently shared data with Fox News Digital showing that a unit within the Treasury Department asked banks for help in January 6th related investigations, providing search terms and merchant codes for stores like Dick's Sporting Goods, Cabela's, and Bass Pro Shops. Missouri Republican Congresswoman Ann Wagner recently asked Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen about this at a hearing. Are they
0: instructing they, financial institutions to search Americans' legal transactions in attempts to surveil their purchases?
2: I
1: I promise a thorough look into everything. Well, this that's is really heard. concerning.
2: Now, as for California's law, other states have already proposed similar legislation, but the Republican Attorneys General in 24 states wrote a letter to the credit card companies telling them they may be violating laws.
3: Well, you're singling out gun owners and you're singling out gun retailers. Now, that's the real issue here. Austin Knudsen is Montana's Attorney General. First of all, this came about because of a European trade association. I mean, this this isn't a, a A congressional mandate
2: the international Uh, standards organization they they, when when they when they offered the the merchant code for guns
3: yep that's correct um and so the the only reason you would do this is to specifically keep track of certain credit card purchases and to me that just turns into a a slippery slope right i mean prior to this whether you were buying a box of ammunition or a, a a shotgun Or a sleeve of tennis balls that was all categorized by the by the merchant category code under the same sporting goods code. Right. The reason you would do a specific code for firearms retailers and for firearms uh, is to keep track of those people, and keep track of those purchases. Well, what's next? I mean, if if an organization decides that people who subscribe to Fox News Digital are 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 dangerous, uh, do we need to keep track of those purchases? I mean, that, well, okay. that to me is so, a real danger here. So
2: the argument, though, for this, right, that, that I keep reading is, hey, everyone has a merchant code. You have one for salons and bakeries. Why not guns? Is the problem that there's no constitutional amendment expressly granting me the right to, you know, have my hair done or buy a cookie? Like, is the actual thing I'm buying the issue here, the gun? And that goes that, to that, the that, Second Amendment. Yes.
3: Yeah, that, that absolutely is is one of the arguments here. And, and it's one of the real problems And because they, they point to, well, you know, there, there are certain – there are certain crimes that we track and, 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 and we do these sorts of things with in other areas. Well, yeah, that's true. But those areas, I mean, number one, that was a congressional mandate. But number two, they don't implicate a constitutional right here like this one does. I mean, you you are literally singling out people who are choosing choosing to exercise their Second Amendment right and saying we are going to track your purchases. is that, the, That's just dangerous. Is this also because the, the end
2: goal here, at least – if you're passing a law, like in the case of California, the end goal is, look, we want to find suspicious activity and and notify law enforcement. I mean, they're, they're arguing that, look, some some mass shootings could have been stopped um, if if this sort of mechanism had been in place. You know, people like in Aurora, Colorado, the movie theater or um, the Pulse nightclub shooting, you know, people buying, a, a, I guess, a large-ish, I don't know, I can't quantify what would be large under this but somebody buying a, a certain amount of weapons in a certain period of time and and that would arouse suspicion um, what 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 is your counter to that
3: well my counter is exactly what you just say like we, we don't know what quantifies a a concerning purchase like what what is a large purchase you know I'm I'm a fairly high volume shooter and I I, I shoot a lot of target I, I shoot a lot of varmints. Um, but what, what, when I see a report of somebody with an arsenal and they have, you know, two, two firearms and a couple hundred rounds of ammo, like to me, that's just a fun half hour. That's not (sighs) a large amount. And I, and I think that's really the issue here is this, this is going to get incredibly subjective. Uh, and you're going to leave this at the whim of, of some bureaucrat working for a, a credit card company here. And frankly, they know they've got a problem with this, too, right there. You're going to create this patchwork across the country where you've got states like California. They're going to mandate this. You've got states like Montana and other states that are probably going to going to outlaw this behavior. Uh, You're you're putting this private company and these private companies in a pretty precarious spot here.
2: If this stopped a mass shooting, like if somebody said, you know what? Thank you, uh, MasterCard. Thank you, Visa. You know, you told a sheriff's department X, Y and Z information and we were able to, I guess, confront somebody and we've, you know, found in their house, you know, plans for mass shooting. Would this be worth it if it stopped one mass shooting and saved even, you know, a, a handful of lives?
3: Well, here's what we know about mass shooters and criminals in general. They're going to break the law. If, if 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 a bad guy wants to get a hold of a gun, they're going to get a hold of a gun. Uh, and and while it might be true that occasionally some of them are are bought legitimately, a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are stolen. A lot of them are 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 taken illegally. In yeah. fact, I would posit probably most of them. Um, so I I just I I, I don't buy this issue that, or this, this argument that we're going to stop mass shootings if we can just make sure that lawful gun owners are being tracked.
2: Finally, A.G., I want your thoughts on the the use of merchant codes more broadly. Um, The the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, as I'm sure you know, has evidence, he shared it with Fox News Digital, that after January 6th, the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, was telling banks – um, look, help us find possible suspects. Um, I guess the there was there's paperwork indicating that they even suggested search terms and merchant category codes, um, things like MAGA, Trump to look for in Zelle payments, certain merchant codes at Cabela's, Dick's, Bass Pro Shops. What what is your reaction to that? And is the answer that we should just all use cash?
3: <laughs> well, I think that's certainly what's going to happen. I mean, you you're, you're going to see more and more firearms enthusiasts and, and just general sporting goods enthusiasts using cash and, and not running their credit card to make these kind of purchases, number one. But number two, yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point. It, th- this is extremely scary. and This is exactly like what I said. I mean, it, oh, to, to, today it's targeting gun owners. What is it tomorrow? Is it is it Wall Street Journal s- subscribers? Uh, is it Fox News digital subscribers? Like what constitutes concerning behavior that we need to track? This is not East Germany. This is America. We have a right to privacy in this country and you can buy whatever you want as long as it's done legally. You know, pe- people do illegal things every single day and that, that's a bad thing. Uh, but, but requiring companies basically to do, th- to do the job that they're not able to get passed through the Congress, I just think that's the wrong way to do it. That, that, that's another move within the ESG movement where, where we can't get this radical gun control stuff passed through the, through the Congress so let's let's make our buddies in big tech do it for us or big finance. Uh, I mean, that that's all I see here.
2: Now, some like Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren say all states need to be on board for involvement of financial companies to truly matter in stopping gun violence. But it's not even clear everyone in law enforcement believes in this as a tool.
6: A lot of times these laws are well-meaning, but they're not well-considered because they don't reach out to the people that actually have to enforce.
2: Scott Sweetow is a retired ATF senior executive and president of S3 Global Consulting.
6: On the federal side, of course, that's my old employer, ATF. And on the state side, uh, assuming it actually is a state law, it could be enforced by state or local law enforcement who would not necessarily have the training to deal with firearms trafficking cases. I was an agent out in California for nine years. I work firearms trafficking cases, so I understand what the landscape is like there. But this law, I think, is going to be very problematic from a standpoint of enforcement. And uh, also, when you're looking at whether it would actually make a difference, and in fact, there really is no way for this to make a difference to try to get at the problem of firearms trafficking or illegal firearm sales.
2: Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that because those in favor of this say, "Look, banks already have uh to flag suspicious activity that they think is related to maybe human trafficking or fraud, right? Those are SARs reports, suspicious activity reports." Sure. And they're saying, "Why not just apply this to guns? Have financial institutions tell law enforcement." And they're they're citing things like the mass shooting um in Aurora, Colorado, the movie theater shooting, the Pulse nightclub club shooting. They're saying that those were those were precipitated by people who Bought larger amounts of weapons in a shorter time span. And so that could have amounted to um, something that could have been flagged.
6: Sure. So there is already a law that deals with uh, multiple sales of handguns. So if a person comes in and tries to buy, let's say, 10 handguns at one time, or buys two or three one day, then a couple days later buys some more. And um, certain border states uh, also are subject to reporting sales of uh, semi-automatic high-capacity weapons like AR-15 style firearms, AK-47 style firearms. So there are already laws that deal with that uh, on a federal level. Mm. And they are enforced federally by ATF. Similarly, if you have someone that has felony convictions, if they're trying to purchase a firearm in California, they are subject to the California state check and also the federal national check system or NICS, which is administered by the FBI. So there's already a mechanism for people to be checked if they're trying to buy a firearm through a dealer. And lastly, there is already a program. It's been in effect for decades between ATF and the NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, that's called Don't Lie for the Other Guy, where gun dealers are trained to recognize suspicious sales. And in fact, they do regularly report them already what, like a to purchase? ATF. Uh, straw purchasing or anything uh, so don't lie for the other guy. Specifically, deals with straw purchasing. But when I was an agent in Los Angeles and all the other states where we served, there were regularly calls from these gun dealers. Who most of them are law-abiding; they want to do the right thing, and they report suspicious activity already to ATF. Kind of tied into this uh, this partnership between ATF and NSSF. So. It leaves the question of what exactly is this law designed to do?
2: Scott Swito, former ATF, thanks so much for joining us.
6: You're very welcome.
0: I'm Dana Perino. President Biden isn't getting any younger and it's becoming more apparent to voters across the country. This week I'm joined by Republican strategist and Vice President at Targeted Victory, Matt Gorman, as we discuss how these issues are playing out in the primary field. Available now
5: on Apple, Spotify and FoxNewsPodcasts.com. This is Jason Rance with your Fox News commentary coming up. Inflation isn't nearly as
1: high as it was, but it's also not coming down as fast as economists hoped. The consumer price index rose 0.3% last month, a tenth more than in December, and more than expected. The year over year increase was smaller than December at 3.1%, but that was also a bigger inflation rate than predicted, which led to a big stock sell off on Wall Street with investors believing the federal reserve will be even slower now to cut interest rates that were raised to reduce inflation and that january report doesn't even reflect the increase lately at the pump gas prices up about a dime in the past week white house press secretary kareem john pierre says inflation has come down a lot but they are working to bring it down even more
3: we're going to do everything that we can to lower cost that is something that we've done whether it's junk fees right whether it's health care uh, at whether it's the Inflation Reduction Act, that also includes health care uh, provisions in there to so that uh, Medicare can, can certainly uh, 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 negotiate with Big Pharma.
1: Now, last week, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen testified at a Senate hearing. I don't expect the level of prices to go down, but the rate of inflation... So they're here to stay? Well, some prices will be higher than... They were before the pandemic. That's Republican Senator John Kennedy interrupting Yellen. It'll It'll take a recession to get these prices down. Well, we don't have to get the prices down. Because wages wages are going up. Also going up, Americans' credit card debt hitting an all-time high as inflation remains stubborn.
4: I think what this tells us is this inflation boogeyman has not... (laughs) really totally subsided.
1: Steve Moore is a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and an advisor to the Trump 2024 campaign.
4: You know, I think a lot of investors and a lot of Americans are worried that we might be seeing some signs of, uh, you know, another uh, spurt of inflation. I think that uh, there's clearly way too much federal spending and debt, and that's really uh, putting pressure on the inflation rate. I think the most important thing, policy prescription right now, much more so than the Fed taking action, is for Congress to take action to reduce all of this massive trillion and a half dollar a year uh, deficit spending, because that really puts pressure on, on prices. The other thing that we really need to focus on is what's happening to prices of goods and services that we buy at the store versus what's happening to people's paychecks. And I think this is the real problem and why Americans are kind of in an angry mood right now, because over the last three years now, the average American has lost about 2000 to $2,500 in purchasing power because of these rising prices. So we're not out of the woods yet.
1: But at the same time, wage growth has outpaced inflation some in, in the last year as we've come down. And we were at 9% inflation in 2022 yes. at the peak. Yes. Now, we're, now I mean, we come down a th- we're only a third of that now, 3.1% of the numbers that came out in, in January. There has been wage growth. The president, right. you know, President Biden has said that, you know, we've come way down from inflation. But obviously, on the other side of the coin, we're still seeing prices go up. We've not cut prices, and we're still way higher than we were a few years ago.
4: When you talk to the average american on the street uh and people on main street they feel like the things that they have to buy their medicine their food their groceries their uh, their uh, mortgage payment those are up a lot more than the official inflation rate and so that's i think one of the reasons people are kind of financially stressed out because if you just look at what's happened with food prices energy prices uh prescription drug prices mortgage prices those are up by more like 25 to 30 percent and that's caused some real problems for people
1: there is a way prices are being kept down or at least not increased which you might have noticed at the grocery store and president biden doesn't like it some companies are trying to pull a fast one by shrinking the products little by little and hoping you won't notice Give me a break. He posted that video online before the Super Bowl on Sunday. As an ice cream lover, what makes me the most angry is that ice cream cartons have actually shrunk in size, but not in price. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. It's a ripoff. And the president's demanding companies stop doing it. He's right to complain about
4: that because, look, I'm a Doritos guy, right? I buy a lot of Doritos and I get those bags. And, you know, there used to be 25 chips in there. And, uh, you know, now there's 20 chips in there in those small bags. And my point is that that's actually a form of inflation, right? Because I'm paying more per chip (laughs) than I was before. And that's why some people feel like the inflation rate is actually higher than it's officially calculated as because, you know, it's it's like the old saying, you know, a, a baker's dozen, you know, is 13 eggs. Well, maybe a Biden dozen is 11 eggs. And so that's the problem with shrinkflation inflation. And that's why we probably understate the overall inflation rate in the but economy. But
1: what can be done about it? You can't make companies do anything about that, can you?
4: You can't blame the companies. They're trying to make a profit and their costs have risen and the cost of the food that they have to purchase to put the groceries on the table. Those kinds of things have risen. So it's an overall macroeconomic problem. And again, I, I have to circle back to the fact that we're just borrowing and spending so much money in washington at an unprecedented rate that's just keeping a lot of pressure on holding prices high
1: now another area of concern for economists and you may be included in this there has been an increase in inflation in services maybe food's gone down a little bit in the rate of increase but services have gone up i i assume you have seen your car insurance bill Car insurance yep. is up 20% in a year. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. And so it all swings back to how inflation really hurts people. And, like, I'm old enough to remember what happened in the 1970s under Nixon, Ford, and Carter when we had, you know, persistent five, six, seven, eight, and 1.10% inflation. And it really causes, my point is, it really causes hardship for the median, you know, Uh, middle-income, working-class families, and people of low incomes. I guarantee you, Bill Gates doesn't care if a box of cereal costs 20% more. But for the working-class people, it really causes hardship.
1: So what does the Federal Reserve do? They're in this spot where they've been trying to bring inflation down with rates higher. They're trying to avoid a recession. A lot of people have predicted recessions for two years. A lot of economists now don't believe there is going to be one what does the fed do i know on wall street they wanted interest rate cuts faster but apparently that's not going to happen what do you think
4: i well first of all i think that the uh fed would probably be making a mistake given these most recent reports to write lower rates because i don't think the fight for you know remember the inflation rate target is two percent so we're still well above that target rate the point i would make to jay powell is You know, there's only so much you can do on the monetary side. If you want to bring inflation down, I'll say this again. We've got to cut government spending. We can't borrow a trillion and a half dollars a year. That's putting so much pressure on the economy. It's causing higher interest rates and it's causing higher inflation.
1: There is another area of concern, and that is our spending, Americans buying Credit card balances climbed to a record high of $1.1 trillion in the latest quarter, according to the Federal Reserve last quarter. Credit card debt in that quarter alone increased by 4.6%. You're concerned about that? You know...
4: You're right in those numbers. And, of course, I'm concerned about it. I think all Americans should be concerned about, you know, flipping out the plastic. And, by the way, I'm as guilty as anybody. You know, I don't even carry cash around anymore. I just put it on my – I just tap the card, right, and I get all this stuff. And then the bills come due. And what's happening for so many Americans uh, is they're having a hard time paying that credit card bill when it comes in every month. And, you know, if you don't pay that credit card debt on time, you're going to pay 20 to 25, in some cases 30 percent interest rates on that. And so it's not a great way for people to borrow, but I think it is um, a symptom of the fact that prices of things are rising faster than people's ability to pay for them. And so we have to you know improve the overall economy. But my word of advice to just homeowners and you know shoppers is, don't ring up a huge amount of debt you can't pay off with your interest your credit card because you're going to get in a debt cycle that could be very dangerous for you uh, so you i know. want to see that credit card debt lower
1: but but at the same time steve do you think that people are starting to over time not care so much in that okay i pay my monthly Right. I, so, what if I have twenty thousand in debt or fifty thousand in debt? I pay my credit card bill. It says I owe one hundred and eighty-three dollars on this bill. I paid it. What's the big deal?
4: Well, look, debt is not in and of itself a bad thing. If I have a mortgage, you may have a mortgage on your house. You know, right. If, yeah. If you're borrowing to, you know, for an asset, you know, it can make good sense. It could be a good financial plan. But we're not doing that right now. We're just borrowing to pay our normal bills. And that's where you get in trouble. So I do want to see, uh, you know, more, we don't have enough investment in this country. Business investment is is not growing, and that's that's the seed corn for a growing economy. Just like say, people saving money is a seed corn for a growing economy. So I worry, I worry a little bit that we're we're just blowing up a bubble here. And I hope I'm wrong about that because I you know pray every morning I want to see the economy do as well as possible. But I, I just think we're making a lot of mistakes both in Washington and in terms of this attitude. And I worry about this, too, that because Joe Biden um, has, um, in my opinion, unconstitutionally forgiven people for their student loan debt, now I think people think, oh, you know, the government's going to come along and and forgive me on my credit card debt. They're going to forgive me for my mortgage debt. These things. Well, you know, come on, uh, you have to pay your bills.
1: (laughs) Ultimately. Do you think we'll go into a recession, and when do you think the Fed will cut rates?
4: I don't know the answer to either of those questions, frankly. I mean, I'm not one of those people last year who predicted a recession, but remember, probably a lot of the economists that you were talking to in you know, late 2022 were saying, oh, we're going to have a recession in 23." and we didn't. In fact, if anything, the economy got better. So um, I, I don't want to see a recession. People lose their jobs. It causes a lot of financial stress for people. I think we can hopefully uh skate our way out of this Uh, but i want to see some reforms in washington to to make sure our economy does better um and in terms of when the what the fed should do right now i want them to get back to getting their job is really in my opinion um one job and that is to keep prices under control because if you don't have a stable price system with a stable dollar you're doing real damage
1: Steve Moore, senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, advisor to the Trump 2024 campaign. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. And in other news.
0: I'm Gianna Gelosi. Some people bring back souvenirs when they travel. Some even bring back some local snacks. But one person arriving in the U.S. from the Democratic Republic of Congo didn't just pack some chocolate or chips. A U.S. Customs and Border Protection dog sniffed out something unusual in their luggage. Mummified monkeys. The passenger returning from a visit to the Democratic Republic of Congo reported that the luggage contained dried fish. But an inspection at Boston Logan Airport revealed dead and dehydrated bodies of four monkeys. The traveler told border agents he was bringing them to the U.S. to eat. Raw or minimally processed meat from wild animals, sometimes referred to as bushmeat, is banned in the U.S. because of the threat of disease like Ebola. Agents say they didn't file charges against the person, but all of the luggage was seized and nearly nine pounds of bushmeat were marked for destruction by the CDC. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi.
1: hi everybody it's brian kilmeade i want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m east as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and of course what you think listen live or get the podcast now at brian subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com
5: it's time for your fox news commentary jason rants what's on your mind The state of Oregon effectively legalized drugs in 2020 when it passed Measure 110. The aftermath has left Oregon in a state of chaos ever since, with 956 fatal overdoses in 2022. Today, $1 fentanyl pills are fueling the crisis, with the most visible failure seen in the state's largest city. Homelessness has exploded in Portland, with open-air drug use as common as the tents, trash, drug paraphernalia, and human waste that line once-thriving city streets. Instead of seeking treatment, as Measure 110 promised, drug addicts seek clean needles, fentanyl pipes, and naloxone. Finally, nearly four years after Measure 110 was passed, city, county, and state Democrat leaders are talking about the crisis, plotting to tackle it with urgency to prevent more loss of life. They have boldly declared a fentanyl emergency, ordering various agencies to partner in programs that push addicts into treatment while cracking down on drug sales. Unfortunately, the plan is a fool's errand and it's many years too late. Their 90-day emergency plan will hardly make a dent in the crisis if it does anything at all. That's what you can expect from the ideologues who helped create this mess to begin with. According to the governor's office, the emergency plan centers around convincing fentanyl addicts in downtown Portland to work with first responders such as social workers. Those staffers are meant to connect addicts with the resources they need, drug treatment, medical assistance, educational resources, and food stamps. But this new declaration is not much different from 2022's 90-Day Reset, which established the Street Services Coordination Center to connect homeless addicts with resources. That, too, failed. The efforts don't even come with new funding, and remarkably, there are no established benchmarks for success. Program coordinators said they would establish those benchmarks after they started their efforts. The county and state still refuse to abandon its harm reduction approach, Proponents say it mitigates the effects of illicit substance abuse so that there's enough time to convince the addict to seek treatment. But the strategy does little more than hand out drug paraphernalia, enabling the user. As I write in my book, What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities? Unless you abandon strategies that keep people hooked on drugs, you will never see real results. It's why harm reduction is such an abject failure, leading to more addiction, not less. As I share in my book, municipalities that offer a carrot-and-stick approach... They see results. While expensive and time-consuming, it actually works. Give law-breaking addicts a choice. They either go to treatment or go to jail. The prospect of coming down from a high in jail is enough to scare any addict. And while they won't see much more than 24 hours behind bars, if that, it's important to hound addicts until they give in and accept treatment constantly. For this to work, the state must fund considerably more treatment centers or beds. They can save a lot of money if they stop buying so many needles, pipes, and fentanyl test strips. The emergency plan's unveiling didn't go over well with some Multnomah County commissioners. They questioned why the focus is on downtown when the whole county is in crisis, wondered if the county would suddenly take the crisis seriously after dragging its feet while people died. And they speculated this is just about checking boxes. The state's insistence on sticking to a failed script of harm reduction and emergency declarations devoid of real change or accountability not only undermines the fight against addiction, but also signals a profound failure of leadership. It's one that continues to cost lives and erode the fabric of its cities, like Portland, which will ultimately need to replace the slogan, Keep Portland Weird, with Keep Portland Drugged Out. I'm Jason Rance.